You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of The Essential Apple Podcast. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this edition. Uh, sorry, there wasn't one last week, but uh, various things were going on, um, including my dad had to go into hospital to have uh, a cataract removed, which unfortunately didn't go spectacularly well, and he's got to go back into the hospital tomorrow, where they're going to attempt to extract the bits of uh, that broke off. When, when they tried to pull out the cataract, it had gone brittle and it broke, and bits of it went into his eye, so he's got to go and have an operation to remove the dead. Is unfortunate, but there we Sounds go. Sounds delightful. Delightful. Well, he said <laughs> he said to me that it's not that bad. It's just like having a, you know some floaters in your eye. He's got black specks in his vision. Um, the problem right. the yeah. the problem was that um, cataracts are weird. The, the doctors will tell you that when you get one, you have to wait a certain amount of time for it to get to a certain stage. Mature. Mature. Yeah. Yes. So right. that so that yeah. they can peel it off. Um, and if you wait too long, they become brittle and do what my dad's did, which is break up when they try and take it out. Oh, right. Um, but the problem is my dad has been waiting probably two years longer than um, he should have done for a combination of reasons. Because of the lockdown. Well, some of it was the yeah. lockdown and some of it is he has blood pressure issues. and right. um, so they have to get that sorted. Well, yeah. yeah, they had to get his blood pressure down to a low enough state to be able to operate and um it doesn't help right. that he, he gets um, oh. he, he gets white coat syndrome so the worst thing was he would go to the hospital and they would <laughs> yeah, take his blood me. pressure and it would shoot up and they'd say it's too high to do the operation in the end uh yes what... i used to be exactly the same my doctor my doctor my previous doctor who retired uh he he would take my blood pressure five or six times in a row yeah, and to... then he'd average them all because he knew that the first time he took it, it would be through the roof. And by the time he'd taken it five or six times, I'd have calmed down a bit. Yeah, well, did the other actually, thing... I never actually felt. That's the thing with the thing with blood pressure is you you don't feel nervous. You don't feel there's no there's no physical um, no outward physical sign that your blood pressure's high. <laughs> no, and my so... um, also of course my dad would get stressed because you know he'd be thinking, oh, if my blood pressure's too high, they won't do the operation and whatnot and then that would make his blood pressure worse so yes it's it, sort of counterintuitive really isn't yeah, it yeah so a actually in the end what they did was sent him home with a blood pressure monitor and told yeah. him to take his own blood pressure or get my mum to do it for him like for about three weeks and then they looked at those and yeah, said that's right. okay that's acceptable we'll take that as acceptable yeah, to they'll, do the they'll do an average because the thing about blood pressure if i mean if you if you've never suffered with it you won't know but but basically blood pressure varies from moment to moment so you can have high or low blood pressure within fairly short times of one another <laughs> yes yes so uh, because, because it does vary all over the place 
So he's got to go back into the hospital tomorrow and hopefully, they, I don't know what they're going to do, but they wish to extract the debris from his eye. As it right. Oh, I hope it all goes well for him. Oh, I should be all right. I expect they'll, I don't know what they'll, how they'll get it out, but stick a vacuum cleaner in there. It's amazing the number of people who have cataract operations these days. I mean, because our church is on the whole older than me, <laughs> there's an awful lot of them have had cataract operations recently. Um, uh, according to my optician, I've got some very small cataracts, but uh, he said they're they're nothing to worry about at the moment. They're yeah, tiny, nothing, tiny, but... nothing you can do about it until they get. No, I, I mean my dad because he had to wait so long, he'd basically gone blind in that eye. Um, right, because the cataract, had, you know, got that bad. But um, so I think, and it can it... be caused by all sorts of things. Because my my brother-in-law has has had cancer and. Some of the treatment he's had has made him, he's got cataracts as well now. So, and he's younger, uh, quite a lot younger than I am. So <laughs> it's just well, one of those things. Isn't it? It is, well, my brother had to have his done when he was in his 40s. Was, right. Know, really quite that young. quite early. Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad had, to, had the other eye done, um, I don't know, about three years ago or something. And then, but, you know, with the lockdowns and his blood pressure, they never got around to doing the second one until now. But there you go. Right. Yeah, because normally they'll do them fairly quickly, one after the other, won't they? Yeah, if that, they can. That, that was the original plan, was to do one and then do the other, like, you know, two months later or something, but it didn't, six, yeah, not how it weeks, panned out, weeks, yeah. six, eight weeks, but that's not how it went, it didn't go to plan, but there you go, he's had it at least mostly removed, I think he's just glad he can see when floaters in his eye or not, he's a... <laughs> yes. rather better than not being able to see anything so there you go so um there we are my fa- my family are genetically um are predisposed to floaters so oh yeah i've got i'm looking of at the screen now uh, yeah i've got i've got my right eye i seem to develop more at the beginning of lockdown i develop more floaters in my right eye uh, you know i've had no new floaters for a long long time and then suddenly i ended up with a couple of quite dark ones they're not they're they're not bad i could ignore them yeah, I've had them. So I told the optician. He said, "I told the optician." He said uh, he did a scan of my eye with, you know, uh, took a photo and it they make it makes like a three D image of your eye. And he said, "Oh yes, yes, I can see your floaters." <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Yeah, I've I've had them since I was a teenager. Sometimes they're bad, and sometimes they're not. You only yeah. notice it if you get one that's particularly annoying and keeps twitching about like a tadpole in your vision. But most of the time, they're sort of in the That's periphery. right. That's right. Or, or or you're staring into a blue sky, which we don't do very often these days. But no. <laughs> when we are having nice blue skies, yeah, you they... can sort of suddenly think, oh, there's my floaters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, dear. There we are. The joys of getting older. But um, Indeed. There we are. So, not a lot of news, Nick. I'll be honest, not a lot of news this week. Um, unsurprising, I suppose. Lots of rumours flying around, of course, about, you know, spring events and yes. AV slash, you know, AR, VR it makes me, it makes me. It makes me wonder. It seems to have gone very quiet, doesn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. Makes me one makes me wonder whether they've got something up their sleeve and they're being very secretive about it. That's why we're not hearing anything. Because normally we'd hear little slips of of information about this and that, and they'll they'll upgrade bits of things to you know for no reason, just because they can, <laughs> uh, or because they're preparing for something. Yeah, that's uh, true. But yeah, 
but being very quiet makes you wonder what are Apple up to? What are they up to? Yeah, indeed, it's almost it's like, <laughs> quiet. It's gone quiet. Too damn quiet. <laughs> That's right. Go check on my children. <laughs> it's gone too damn quiet. Oh yeah. So what have we got? Um, there was a story. Uh, Nine to Five Mac had a story that T-Mobile was blocking iPhone users from enabling iCloud private private relay um, in the US. And um, also, there was a report indicated that some European carriers were blocking the private relay feature. Um, it says T-Mobile slash Sprint in the United States is also blocking iCloud private relay access when connected to cellular data. Um, however, this was um, followed up. The T-Mobile said customers who have chosen plans and features with content filtering for example, parental controls will not have access to the private cloud relay in order to allow these services to work as designed. Um, all other customers uh, have no uh, restrictions. Um, so it's possible some people think it's been disabled when they've actually chosen not. They've, cho yeah. <laughs> they've um, chosen a feature, which means that they can't have it. Oh, right, okay. And then it says many that, of the users possible, we've heard from and tested do not have any such content filtering enabled, or so they think, oh. possibly. Um, we've mm. followed up with T-Mobile for additional clarification, but have not yet heard. Um, however, that was followed later in the leak in, in the week, not the leak, the week. Um, that T-Mobile says it has not broadly blocked iCloud by, uh, private relay. Um, and blames a 15.2 bug for errors. So um, overnight, our team has identified that the 15.2, uh, I should say, iOS release, some device settings default to the feature being toggled off. We have spoken to Apple about this, and this is not specific to T-Mobile. We have not broadly blocked iCloud phone uh, relay, though. So, um, okay, so it looks as if it might have been blocked for other reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or it could it could simply be that the update has toggled some of your settings. Apparently, um, quite likely this is something that. Acc if according to um, according to one sentence in here, it says in the UK carriers, including T-Mobile, EE, and others, have already started blocking private relay usage when connected to cellular data. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Not that I need to, because I'm not on either of those things. But no, no, nor am I. Um. Oh, I wonder the, why. Once, Apparently, T-Mobile were T-Mobile were part of a group of carriers that were worried about the impact of private. Really, hmm. there we are. So, uh, according to Nine to Five Mac, um, uh, a solution to the problem, which has worked for many Nine to Five, worked for many Nine to Five Mac. Try saying that fast. Uh, is go to settings, <laughs> choose cellular. Choose your plan and make sure limit IP address tracking is turned on. Do this while Wi-Fi is disabled and you are connected to the cellular network. Okay, so uh. could be a bug, could be a no. Anyway, T-Mobile in the US say they are not deliberately blocking it. So there you go. So not a huge story, but as I say, not a lot of news. Slow news week. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else did we get? A woman was sentenced to prison for stealing 3,000 iPods intended for students. It's a bit like um, um, the employee also f filed fraudulent tax returns in order to try and cover up ill-gotten gains. Um, there we go. Um, 
It's one thing to steal from the government, but stealing from children is worse. One New Mexico school district employee did. Kirsty Stock was sentenced to 18 months in federal prison for a role in a scheme to steal and resell 3,000 iPods intended for Native American students. Um, well, not tut tut, not a very nice person. Um, no, yeah, I mean, uh, she made she made more than eight hundred eight hundred thousand dollars from selling between yeah between twenty thirteen and twenty eighteen, and filed fraudulent tax returns on this income, resulting in a tax loss of around two hundred and seventy thousand. Oh dear. Well, there are people like that, aren't there? Who will try and there's always people who will try and play the system and make it make have an extra advantage. Yep. Because we don't know how much she earned. It might be that she was desperate, and who knows? Who knows? When you don't know people's whole story, it's quite difficult, isn't it? (laughs) Yep, it is. Um, Still, stealing it from Native American children is not not good. No matter how you look at it. No, doesn't really, uh, you know. There you go. Apparently, her co-conspirator was given 66 months for failing to pay 700,000 in taxes. There you go. Bad people. Naughty people. Mm. Uh, What else? As opposed to governments who who steal your money legitimately. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) They quite legitimately take your money. Yeah, that's true. Um, Apparently, there's a possibility of changes to the App Store as a U.S. antitrust bill proceeds to committee. Um, This is one of those ones about, um, you know, if the government decide competing app stores might have to be allowed, um, consumers should be able to choose their default apps, Apple and Google would not be allowed to do anything to give their own app stores advantage, blah, blah, blah. Um, Well, that's lawmakers for you, poking their noses in. Just... Whenever I think of this, though, it just sounds nonsense. I mean, it's a little bit like saying Tesco's and Asda have to sell their the, the other shop's product in their shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you get to Tesco, you should be able to buy Tesco and Asda stuff. Yeah, and the same as Asda, which just sounds silly. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all you lawmakers and things, but it sounds silly. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make any uh, any sense to me. But there you go. It's proceeding to committee, and we shall have to see how it goes. And uh, I suppose if they change the law, Apple will have to go along with it. Uh, it I suppose so. Uh, apparently, I'm sure they'll fight it though. Well, I have been fighting it. I did. I haven't linked any of the stories, but I saw several stories that um, Tim Cook has been personally speaking to various. Um, I don't know what representatives is it. I don't uh, senators yes. and people big big names calling them up personally to you know lobby them to vote against it. So how that will pan out, who knows? Um, and then we've got another. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little bit like the uh, a little bit like the UK privacy bill, isn't it? There. Yes. Trying to go through at the minute, which is also got some silly rules in it. Yep, definitely. And uh, also the policing bill, which uh, has some fairly drastic law changes, which uh, a lot of people are very yeah upset about and uh, actually, worried about. Yes, yeah, indeed. And the Lords actually threw most a lot of it back. I believe they voted against it. So I don't blame them really. I mean, a lot of it is all about freedom of expression and. Yep, yep. I understand what they want to stop. They want to stop people. Um, they want to stop people disrupting day-to-day life when they want to protest about something. Well, that's the whole point of protesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and, and freedom I, of speech and all that. 
yep, you know, I want to ban protests and, you know, in Parliament Square and things like that. That just, just, just seems a bit, um, no, thank you. We don't want to do that. Anyway, that's no. not really, not really the focus of this show, but, um, here we are. Um, Apple's U.S. education store requires institution verification in order to buy discounted products. Um, not, not that there was anything particularly surprising about that, I would have thought, because in this country, uh, if you want to claim educational discounts, you have to prove that you, uh, you know, are in an educational institution of some form. Um, you know, produce your student card or such like. But anyway, um, it did not go out very well the um the rollout did not progress well as donny in the slack room who is a teacher uh was saying um he wanted to buy some products and uh couldn't get verified even though he is a teacher and worked in school um so again this is another one which uh, later in the week apple walked back its uni days verification requirement for u.s education store due to uh problems so um right at the moment apparently there's almost no check you could just claim to be uh in education and claim a discount so so i wonder whether that's um it's not clear is it that uh, whether it's a third party that's the problem or no i don't say or whether it's apple's connection to the third party or what whatever only that it doesn't didn't work Unidays is a website specialised in providing education customers with discounts for products and services by confirming their enrolment. Apple had previously implemented the same approach to its education store in other countries, such as India and the United Kingdom. Um, but, uh, as I say, later in the week, we had um, the requirement was a major change in as Apple had never asked customers to go through a verification in the United States before. Now, three days after verification was added, Apple has removed it. Um, Apple is not asking for any proof that you are a student or a teacher. Um, there were complaints from MacRumors readers that suggested UniDay's site was broken for staff member verification as it was asking customers to upload student ID with expiration dates. Staff members were prevented from obtaining discounted products, which could be why Apple has nixed this requirement. Uh, it's not clear if Apple will re-implement an institution verification after working out kinks to make it available for students, teachers and school staff. Uh, yeah, hmm. a bit strange, considering they've, um, as it says here, as long required verification in countries like the United Kingdom. Um, very yeah. strange, very strange. Um, you would have thought that they'd required yeah, verification the, for years. Apparently the, apparently the students were okay. It was just teachers who couldn't. Yeah. The staff who couldn't, uh, because you needed a student ID to buy it, and of course they haven't got one. <laughs> so, yeah. Very, very strange. There we are. Um, not like Apple, really. No, not a really. Apple is usually very good at taking your money off you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Cult of Mac uh, reported on a Safari bug which will leak your browsing activity and Google account details, uh, which... Was. It was on Cult of Mac. Um, a newly discovered bug in Safari 15 allows any website to track your browsing activity and reveal your identity if you're a Google user. Well, if you're signed in. I checked mine. I'm not signed in and it, it doesn't, it can't. But um, 
The oh, vulnerability right. stems from Apple's implementation of IndexedDB, a storage API which widely supported by modern browsers. The problem affects users on Mac as well as iPhone and iPad. Uh, it's a JavaScript API for web browsers designed to hold large amounts of data, including files. Uh, okay, IndexedDB uses the same origin policy, a security mechanism which restricts how documents or scripts loaded from one origin can interact with resources from other origins. In other words, the same origin policy prevents one website from accessing the data saved by another. Um, however, a bug prevents the same origin policy from working correctly. Um, so there you go. And apparently, if you're a Google user and you're signed in, it allows you to, it allows them to find out stuff from uh, your Google history. Um, yeah, cool. I've just run their their test, and according to this, I'm browser currently leaks one database name. My unique Google user ID, hmm. apparently. So, um, yeah, not too worried about it. I'm sure they'll fix it very soon. Um, well, the next story I have again is Apple is fixing the dangerous Safari bug, which can leak your history. Um, and I believe, uh, according to 95 Mac, the issue has been fixed in the release candidate version of Apple's mobile and desktop operating systems 15.3 and 12.2 uh, release right. candidates. So basically, if it's it's not actually fixed yet for most people, but it will be as soon as... Um, yeah, it says it will be likely take a couple of days for them to become widely available to users. Yeah. Um, I think they also released a new, new version of the Safari technology preview, which you can download. Um, yes, I noticed that come through yesterday. Yeah, yeah I, I do use the I use the purple Safari personally, which is the technology preview. But you know, we all oh. know I like to live out on the on the leading edge. And um, <laughs> indeed, uh, the yes, and the, the RC uh, versions of uh, the watch OS and uh, iOS rolled out Friday, I think, if I recall. I got new, um, you know, new installs, not marked as beta, yeah. which usually means they're the release candidates. So there we are. Um, so if you're really worried about it, um, go get the technology preview, which I believe is um, 15.3. Or you could... Or you could use Chrome, and then there'd be no problem. Yeah, you won't be leaking anything, you, you be leaking anything <laughs> no, at all. <laughs> Except all your other information. <laughs> exactly, exactly, dear, oh dear. Um, not a good bug, obviously, you know, a security mechanism no. designed to protect you is not, not working. So anyway, it's, been, it's being fixed, being fixed. Um, And that's all the Apple stories I've got, Nick, because it's quiet. Yeah, yes. They're up to something, I tell yeah, you. Up to, yes, they're up to something, I'm sure. A um, couple of medical technology stories this week, though. Um, uh, grandmother becomes first patient, this actually should say in the UK, to be fitted with a bionic eye in a science breakthrough. Um, you can find it various places. This one's in the mirror, not a newspaper I normally uh, pay much attention to, but, uh, you know, um, I'm sure you can find it on other sites. Um Moorfield Eye Hospital has surgically inserted a 2mm wide microchip under the retina of the unnamed 88-year-old. The chip interacts with special glasses which contain a video camera to send electrical signals via her optical 
nerve that can be interpreted by the brain. Um, breakthrough is part of a European clinical trial and offers the hope of partially restored vision for people with advanced dry age-related macular degeneration, which is... Uh, okay, which is affected also people. Yes, 600,000 people in the UK apparently have sight loss caused by this. Um, mm. Uh, it's very clever. I mean, but for those who are just listening to this, because, you know, apart from um, all of those you watching the video, what do you mean you don't know we put out video? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, gra- yes, it's uh, it, they've got a picture of a pair of glasses and, what, and the right eye is blanked out and the left eye has got like this sort of, it's a little bit like Google Glass, but very chunky. Very yes. chunky indeed. Yes, it uh, is. That, that goes around to the to her uh, left temple. So that's still clever, isn't it? If, I wonder what I wonder what she can actually see. Yeah, that's um. We were talking about this before, weren't we? Yeah, the French developed Prima system device uses a microchip to transmit the visual scene projected by the glasses to a small computer on the patient's waistband. Artificial intelligence algorithms tell the glasses to focus on what it perceives to be the main object. This image is projected as an infrared beam through the eye to the chip, which it converts to an electrical signal. The signal passes passes through the retina and the optical cells to the brain, where it is interpreted as if it was natural vision. Um, oh, gosh. Be interesting to know what how much you can actually see with it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, even if she can see, you know, a blurry image, it's better than nothing at all. Well, indeed. Definitely. And these things, you know, as we know, as we said many times, these, these breakthroughs always, you know, they always get better. Um, yes. The start of the technology, as it were. Yeah. yeah. Very clever. And once you can prove that it works, you can work on making it smaller and more efficient and better. Very good. Yes, it's a little bit like original hearing aids, which, you know, basically look like you've got this great big grey plastic box on your ear. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas modern hearing aids, people wear them and you can't actually see them at all. Nope, they're tiny little... quite amazing. Tiny, tiny little things that you pop inside your ear, definitely. Yeah, I remember when they used to be like a brown box that people used to put on their sh- in their shirt pocket or yeah. clip on oh, their clothes. Right. Yes, and and you right. had a yeah. had a wire going to an earpiece like um you know like yes earbuds. I remember them like that as well yeah it was a big thing you know and uh, people would always be fiddling with the dials on it to try and stop feedback. It'll be and... interesting to see where that goes because it's definitely one of those things. Because there's a lady at church who's suffering from macular degeneration and it's quite uh, quite distressing for her I think. Yeah. Um... Well, my neighbour, who's a young lad, well, 20-something, he's got um, macular degeneration, not age-related. He's got macular degeneration in his eyes. And, um, right. You know, he, he, he barely it's ever... very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult, his visions, yeah. you know. I think he's technically classed blind. Um, right. He, he, rather than a phone most of the time, he prefers to use a tablet because it's bigger and he can have it zoomed up big. Yeah. And, you know. Holds it about three inches in front of his eyes to read it, but um, yeah, yes, not a you know. Yes, I was help. I was helping her last year to get a, an iPad set up because she wanted to be able to read stuff at a very large size, like you were just saying, really. So. Yeah, yeah, it's um, not a pleasant, uh, you know, not a pleasant affliction. No, so, there we are, and then. We have another medical story, which is uh, a man gets a genetically modified pig's heart in world first transplant. Um, this was on the BBC. Um, 
a US man has become the first person to get a heart transplant from a genetically modified pig. Um, this, um, apparently, according to this story, remarkable. the transplant was considered as a last hope of saving Mr. Bennett's life. Uh, it's not clear what his long-term chances of survival are. It was either die or do the transplant, he explained. I know it's a shot in the dark, but this is my last chance. Uh, they were granted special dispensation by the U.S. medical reg regulator to carry out this procedure uh, that he would otherwise die. Um, so that apparently the pig used in the transplant had to be genetically modified to knock out several genes that would have led to the organ being rejected. Yeah, which is basically, uh, do you remember the story we had a few shows ago about the... Um, about the kidney transplant, which I yes. know was actually on a, a brain dead patient. He was, you know, they did that as a test. Um, I suspect that that test quite possibly allowed the surgeons to put forward a case that it would be safe to attempt to uh, transplant this genetically modified pig's heart um, in the same way as the the, kid, the kidney was that had been genetically modified to remove those particular genes that cause it I to be rejected. I, I think it, I'm a bit concerned. I'm a bit concerned with the photo they've got here, though. I think they've put his heart up his nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. He's got a picture of him with a breathing tube up his nose. Yeah. That's so, not supposed uh, to go there. Oh, well, good luck to the chap. Yes. Good, <laughs> no, good luck. Not. Good luck to him. Good luck to him. And, um, you know, let's hope it pans out because I'm sure there will be a lot of people who could benefit from this because there's never enough hearts for transplant. There just aren't. No. no. There never are. Um, there you go. So, well done there, I suppose. Let's just hope it uh, gives him many more years of life. Yes. Step uh, in the right direction, hopefully. Yes. The surgeon, Bartley Griffith, said this surgery could bring the world one step closer to solving the organ shortage crisis. Um, currently, 17 people die every day in the US while awaiting a transplant, and 100,000 are reportedly on waiting lists. So, hmm. Well, that's uh, I'm going to say this now, and I a heartening story. Groan. Oh, Padum <laughs> <laughs> tish, indeed. Wah 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 wah. <laughs> oh, no, but there we go. Oh, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist that. I couldn't resist that. <laughs> oh dear. So, um, I'll tell you what, Nick. Um, before we do any more, we're going to go over to John in his hardware store. Um, he apologises for the audio quality of this recording. He decided to try a different microphone and has uh, worn never again because uh, he's oh, unhappy dear. with the quality of the uh, audio. Uh, and he's also asked me to point out that um, on one of the products, there was apparently a mix-up uh, with the, between the packaging and the actual product. So he's uh, unable to give you uh, full details on that product. But uh, he's got a bunch of, uh, I think it's Skosh chargers, which he's going to tell us about. And uh, will give us more information on the mislabeled product when he gets it. But uh, here we go. Over to John. <laughs> Nemo's hardware store has four power units for getting power to your devices from Skosh, S-C-O-S-C-H-E. Two of them plug into the wall using the AC charge, and two of them go into the car charger, the 12-volt on your vehicle. First one is called PowerVolt PD30 USB-C Power Delivery Mini Car Charger. It's a tiny little version of the car charger 
that normally goes into what used to be called the cigarette lighter, but it's really small because it's USB-C. So it's a 30-watt USB-C charger, and it's so small that when it plugs in, it may go all the way into the what we used to call the lighter port. So there's a little ribbon so you can pull the thing out when you're done charging it or if you're not going to be using it. This is $25 in the U.S., and it works absolutely great. It takes up almost no space, and it can charge up all your new USB-C devices lickety-split. That's the PowerVolt PD30, USB-C Power Delivery Mini Car Charger. We will have links for all this stuff in our show notes here at Essential Apple for Nemo's Hardware Store. The second one also goes into the 12-volt adapter on your car, but this is called the Revolt. That's a great name, the Revolt. R-E-V-O-L-T-Q-C, Quick Charge Car Charger. And it's a more conventional one, and you plug your regular old USB flat tip into it, but it does a good quick charge. So that's another really great thing about Skosh. They're trying to keep up with the speed as well as the technology. So the Revolt QC, Quick Charge Car Charger, is only $15 in the U.S., and this will allow you to charge up any of your devices using your normal charging cable from Apple or anybody else. The next one goes into the wall. It's called the PowerVolt PD30 also, but this is the USB-C power delivery multi-device charger. It works the same as the first one, PowerVolt PD30, but this one plugs into the wall with a two-prong North American socket. And at the rear end of it is a small little USB-C port for you to plug in your USB-C devices into the wall. So you can charge your gear using USB-C cables, using the wall or the car, and you can charge anything and everything using that quick charge car charger using a standard USB cable. Well, we're saving the best for last. This is the Magic Mount Pro Charge Home Office Wireless Fast Charging Magnetic Mount. It has a suction grip that can go on your table or your dashboard or your desk, anywhere that's nice and flat. And then it has Qi or Qi charging. You can charge it wirelessly. comes with all the different magnets and adapters, cables and plugs, templates and instructions, everything you need. Plus, they give you phone support and web support. They really want you to understand how to use this product. I'm having trouble finding the exact price. So this may come in next show or later with Simon announcing it. Because for right now, there's a couple of different products with the same name on the Scosche website. But this is model number MPQ2WD-XTSP1. Scosche.com, S-C-O-S-C-H-E, Magic Mount Pro Charge Home Office, wireless fast charge for Apple with a magnetic mount. But it works with all Qi or Qi enabled devices. Excellent instructions, really good dry diagrams, and a good website. So Scosche is really trying to keep us powered up. We can use the Qi charger that's built into the back of most of our phones, or we can just plug in in the car or when we are in the building. Back next week with more stuff from Nemo's Hardware Store. Thank you, John, as ever. And uh, as John says, apologies that the uh, audio quality is not as good as usual. He won't be using that uh, microphone again. Anyway, there we are. Uh, links, of course, in the show notes as ever, and more info from John on those products when he gets it. Uh, okay, what shall we do next? Uh, security and privacy? Um, 
Unfortunately, Apple Insider, Mac OS, Windows and Linux all targeted by a new cross-platform exploit. Um, and I think this is called SysJoker. Yes, the new SysJoker backdoor can reportedly attack multiple operating systems, including Mac OS, Windows and Linux. Um, researchers from Interzer, whoever they are, revealed they had found SysJoker, a backdoor, originally discovered attacking Linux, shortly after variants of the same backdoor were uncovered attacking Windows and Mac OS. The find is considered unusual as it is rare to discover malicious code which can attack multiple platforms at the same time. Um, there we are. Um, the security researcher Patrick Wardle performed the analysis of the Mac OS variant and Interzer concentrated on Windows. The code is found to be a universal binary covering both Intel and ARM64 builds, meaning it can run on Apple Silicon as well as older Macs with Intel chips. The code is signed, although with an ad hoc signature. Uh, hmm. uh, after being run, the malware attempts to download a file from a Google Drive account, able to pull and run executables depending on the commands from the control server. Uh, other commands include unzipping downloaded executables uh, and changing permissions of the unzipped executable to make it run. Um, seems this backdoor is starting to be flagged by antivirus engines after being identified. Uh, Interzer has not witnessed a second stage or command sent by the attacker which points to it having a specific purpose and likely to be from an ex advanced actor. Its goal is suspected to be espionage, uh. although there is a possibility it could be weaponized for ransomware attack. Um, and there's um, files and directories created by SysJoke that include library Mac OS services, library Mac OS services slash uh, update Mac OS, library system network, and library launch agents com Apple update plist. Um, persistence code is placed in library launch agents com Apple update plist. Uh, if files are found on a Mac, it is advised to kill all related processes and delete these files. At the moment, it is unclear how a user might become a victim of SysJoker at this time. So, hmm. oh, so they don't know how it infects. No, they don't know where it's come from, basically. Oh, right. Uh, that's, that's a bit concerning. <laughs> mm. Yeah. As I say, looks like it comes from an advanced actor, which usually means state-sponsored, doesn't it? Yes. Like, They're probably not interested in you and me. No, I doubt particularly. it very much. I suspect it's, you know, as it says, for probably for a specific purpose, uh, which may be either, as we say, espionage or ransomware attacks. So, mm. looks like a nasty piece Just of work. Just shows there are clever people out there doing bad things as well as good things. It does. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, right. So, that was that one. So, um... Uh, and then I've got another one here on the same product, uh, you know, same problem. SysJoker backdoor revealed after going undetected on Windows, Linux and Mac OS for several months. Apparently, another story, that one's from WCCF Tech. It's a very strange title for their website. There we are. Um, well, at least, as it says, now it's been detected, antivirus engines and uh, various security suites are adding to, it to their, yeah. um, you know, their list of things to detect. So, always somebody out to do some Surely harm. Did. There we are. Um, 
Right, here's one that I'm going to try my very best not to get angry about. The UK government readies an anti-encryption publicity campaign to keep children safe online. Um, and apparently they're going to uh, have a load of, you know, inflammatory uh, TV ads, you know, implying that encryption allows bad people to target children. Um, Theory, me. Yeah, uh, basically in an attempt to, you know, sway public opinion against having end-to-end encryption. Um, That's as bad as saying steering wheels cause people to crash. Yeah, exactly. Because steering wheels don't cause people to crash. <laughs> no. They might be involved in the crashing, but they're not, they're not, cause, they don't no. make it happen. As I like to say, the most dangerous component in a motor vehicle is the nut behind the steering wheel. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And this is the same sort of thing, really, isn't it? I mean, it's encryption isn't the problem. No, it is not the problem. Um, just to follow up on that, um, UK data watchdog uh, criticises the British government campaign. Um, so their very own data watchdog um, has said... Um, the Information Commissioner's Office has argued the technology strengthens children's online safety. Uh, a delay leaves everyone at risk, including the children, it told the BBC. Um, the Executive De- Director... That just, that just, shows, just shows, doesn't it, that um, the difference between... If, if you set up a watchdog to actually, you know, with people who know what they're talking about... <laughs> mm. Uh, then they'll they'll tell you the truth. Whereas you know, if you listen to the government, they'll just tell you what's suitable for them. Um, yeah, it's bonkers, really, isn't it? Yeah. Launching the campaign on Tuesday, a spokesman for the No Place to Hide initiative says that rolling out end-to-end encryption would be like turning the lights off on the ability to identify child sex abusers. Um, no, that's not how it works. And there you go. No. So the information. Um, Commissioner's office have said that this is rubbish and actually the government don't know what they're talking about. So no huge surprise yeah, there. So what we do is we switch off encryption and then and then the abusers have no difficulty getting at everyone's information. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's just completely illogical to me Yeah, it's... how they can think that encryption would actually make things worse. I understand what they're saying. Encryption means people can hide behind things. I understand that. But it's not the encryption itself that's the problem. It's the people themselves that problem it is you know uh dearie me so there we are uh that's uh i'm glad to see the information commissioners of office are you know putting forward some sensible views rather than the hysterical nonsense that government want to uh push at us to uh make us believe that we should all give up encryption for our own good yes it's are. not good that they're spending public money to do that as well yeah. um in the u.s the democrats unveil a bill to ban online surveillance advertising, uh, which um, would prohibit digital advertisers from targeting any ads to users. It makes some exceptions, like allowing for broad location targeting. Contextual advertising, like ads specifically matched to online content, would be allowed. Um, Don't know. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I mean, potentially it could be a good thing. I mean, it sounds, the title, and that's all I'm going on at the moment, the title sounds a good thing. So surveillance advertising is basically getting as much information about your customers as possible. Yes. uh, And then pushing adverts that are relevant to them. 
Um, and I think we I think we all agreed that you know intrusive um, surveillance is not a good thing. No. Um, but at the same, it, it depends on exactly what is being suggested, doesn't it? <laughs> really? Um, it, potentially, it could be a good thing that they're suggesting. It's just that don't know, knowing how these things work, they'll probably it'll be a sledgehammer to crack a nut again. Yeah, um, and and they'll actually try and do something that is harmful to the way the internet works. Uh, we d- we just seem to keep going round and round and round in circles. It, I get the feeling it, it, with politicians, it's a little bit like a war of attrition. If we keep saying we need back doors in stuff enough, you'll give way eventually. Yeah, you just cave in and, oh, for God's sake, you know, I give up. Yeah, here's the back doors. Go on, away you go. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about this one. Um, as long, you know, in some ways, yeah. surveillance advertising, uh, you know, clamping down on that could be a good thing. But, you know, it has to be done properly and be able to be enforced and... Uh, yeah, I mean, if someone can come up with the difficulty, isn't it? Is coming up with something that would that would work. It's as simple as that. The difficulty we're having with all of these stories is that the kind of legislation they're trying to bring in doesn't do what they're what they're trying to achieve. No, not so often. With the last story, you know, the last story they're trying to protect people, but what they're actually doing is trying to weaken encryption, and they're not they're not the same thing. No, um, and the same here. I mean, if if it works, if they can find a way to do it where advertising is only allowed to sort of target in your general direction rather than having to know everything about you, including your inside leg measurement and your, and your, and how many diseases you suffer from, <laughs> yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, I then mean, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But will they be able to do it? I mean, the, the thing is, people like Facebook and others who who benefit from that always say, "Oh, well, we'll be ruined." But advertisers have been, you know advertising to people without knowing everything about them for hundreds of years. Of course they have. um, I don't buy that argument. What you mean is we won't be able to make as much money as we can at the minute. It's just, you know. Well, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Sadly, I believe that it will go like all the other legislation of this type. It'll end up being overzealous and unworkable. Quite possibly. We shall have to see. We shall have to see. Um, And just uh, also, the European data regulators issued 1.1 billion euro in GDPR fines in 2021, uh, which in the break, that literally arrived in my inbox um, as uh, John was doing his uh, hardware store. Um, The survey identified an 8% increase (laughs) in GDPR breach notifications. Um, yeah, good. That's all I can that, say about that. That means the technology... That, yeah, I mean, I think most people who know a little bit about GDPR say that on the whole, it's a good thing. I still think charities and things should be exempted from it because it, it's onerous and unnecessary for very small... I mean, even the church has to have a GDPR policy and we've only got a handful of people who actually go to the church. It just seems a lot of work for uh, for very little. But for businesses, absolutely right. And I'm glad that it's got some teeth and that they're actually issuing fines because people aren't, aren't doing the right thing. Yep. Apparently, Luxembourg issued the highest individual fine with 746 million euro fine against Amazon. Um, and Ireland oh, wow. fined WhatsApp 
225 million euros. So, uh, apparently the UK... 130,000 personal data breaches in total. Yes. Um, Interesting. The UK came sixth with a £20 million fine imposed on British Airways for losing the financial and personal details of 380,000 customers during a cyber attack. Um, hmm. Okay, well, there we go. I'm glad to say that, uh, that I think that's a good thing, that um, people are being Yes, punished. when we have legislation that actually, when we have legislation that actually protects people, then that's a good thing. Definitely. Um, I know a lot of people don't like the GDPR for a variety of reasons, but if they're issuing, you know, actual penalty fines that sting big corporations for being lax with your data, then that's a good thing. Make sure they... Yes. You know, no good issuing Amazon with a £1 million fine. They just put their hand down the back of the couch and pull a few quid <laughs> out, you know. Just got, shrug it off. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to you know, you've got to make a sizable dent in their cash flow so that they actually feel the pain. Yeah, there we are. Um Right, uh, the worth of chirps. Uh, this was a little one I came across from the Rogue Amoeba uh, blog, which is called Making Digital Confetti Accessible, which is um, a piece uh, they wrote explaining that, uh, you know, when you unlock um, a, a Rogue Amoeba, a, put my teeth in, a Rogue Amoeba product, uh, a bunch of digital confetti explodes on the, you know, on the dialogue screen and uh, a certificate comes up saying, you know, congratulations, you've unlocked your product. Um, there's here. Um, a few years after we instituted this, I received an email from friend of Rogue Amoeba, Alison Sheridan. There we go. Alison is a prodigious user of several of our products and uses them to create a variety of podcasts. Uh, nice, nice plug for Alison there from Rogue Amoeba. Um, cheers. Yeah. Valuable feedback and questions, but subject of this particular email intrigued me. The confetti needs sound might sound seem amusing. Her email detailed a valid issue she'd found while discussing accessibility of product on the uh, American Council for the Blind's streaming radio show Magic Mac. She realised that the digital confetti was not accessible when unlocking our product, sighted users would see the animation, but nothing was provided for visually impaired people. We work hard to make our software accessible, and the Golden Apple Award audio hijack received from Apple's Viz community fills us with pride. So after reading Alison's email, I opened a ticket in the bug tracker, and in short order, our designers uh, turned sound designer had created possible sounds to consider. And then they've got a variety of sounds which they uh, considered, which you can listen to if you follow the link to the blog. Um, yeah, I've, ju- I've just been listening to them. You can't hear them. But, uh, oh, that's nice one. That's got a little harp in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the... Oh, you know. there's one that sounds a bit like the X-Files. <laughs> but apparently their winner, how can I describe it? It's sort of like a, a whoosh with a with a, a, a xylophone sending yes. sound. Yes. So there you go. Just that's just a little uh, piece from them. They, you know, but it's, it, I think it's important, really, because it's it's just highlighting things that you know easily overlooked. They yeah. created the digital confetti animation to 
sort of, you know, make people feel good about unlocking their product. And uh, Alison pointed out that, you know, visually impaired people uh, were having difficulty knowing if they'd done it correctly or not. So um, there we are. One of the nice things about one of the nice one of the nice things about being on a Mac is that a lot of the software is written by fairly small teams. Uh, and it's always nice to, to get feedback from your customers and being able to implement things. And one of the things I used to like, we used to be, uh, use a piece of software when I was when I was at work that was part of the Toad um, um, suite for dealing with um, MySQL um, language uh, databases and that kind of thing. Uh, and they made a piece of software called um, Toad Data Point which was a reporting tool, which was very useful for us because, as I said earlier, I do. That was my job. I was doing reporting. Uh, I might have said that before the show. They might not have heard that before. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the nice things was is the team that were developing it were a smallish team, and, and I actually spoke to several of them in the U.S., with suggestions and and things that I thought would be useful in the tool, and that and they implemented two or three of them. Um, I like that about software companies when you, when they're accessible like that, and you can actually uh, get stuff changed uh, just by making a suggestion. Yes, very much so. Uh, when I worked at the printers, we used to use um, a piece of management information software. Um, and there were a couple of things that it, it just didn't have quite right. And so we spoke to the team and said, you know, why is there no search function in this part of the program? We want to be able to search yeah. over here or, you know, we need to be able to pull out uh, the figures from there. And uh, lo and behold, the next version, they added it. Uh, probably wasn't hard, particularly hard yes, work. It's... They just never figured no. that anybody would want to, you know, for example, search right. the, the addresses of customers rather than their names or whatever. Um, yeah, it's very satisfying to have that happen. And um, my boss kept on asking me when I was getting me, uh, me royalties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we get in the royalties. But uh, yeah, it is nice, you know, and it, it, you'd be surprised often, um, sometimes, you know, what you would think might be big companies are actually quite small teams, you know, and they've got 10 or 12 yes. yeah. people actually doing the coding. Um, so yeah, and that's nice, you know, you can speak to somebody and say, could I request that we can have a search function over here? And it's like, fine, you know, yeah, we can put that in if you want. And uh, next, you know, next version, it rolls out and there it is. Very satisfying. Yeah, we had a we had at least I had at least one or two sessions where I was online with them and I was showing them what the issue I was having, um, so that they could then go away and work on it. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So and and good when a co- good when a company like that listens to its customers as well. So. Of course, always good when people listen to their customers. Um, also, uh, this came in literally while John was doing the hardware store, and this isn't specifically uh, really uh, tech-related, but I thought it was interesting, and as there's not much news, I thought we could talk about it. Uh, UK businesses urged to join uh, four-day working week trial. Uh, participating employees would receive 100% of their usual pay, but only work four days a week. Um, in uh, exchange for a commitment to maintain 100% productivity, i.e. to get at least the same amount of work done in four days as, uh, you know, they're currently doing in five. Um, This trial is apparently organised by the four-day week global organisation and an autonomy think tank. 
The pilot program is, will be monitored by Cambridge and Oxford universities to measure four-day working week impact on staff productivity and well-being, um, as well as the impact on the environment and gender equality, um, which is, you know, interesting. And, you know, I think in a lot of industries, it, it, you can do this. You know, it can be done. Yeah, um, I've definitely seen... I've seen stories with small companies that have done this. Um, I think I think a story I saw certainly within the last couple of years was a design company and um, um, you know graphic des- I think it was graphic design and he he decided the boss decided that he'd offer this to his with his to his employees uh, with the understanding same sort of understanding that you know that they'd work flat out when they're in work and then have an extra week day in the weekend and he said their productivity and their profit went up so well well, there you go i can i can see that i i really can because as as you said in the break to me you know there's not i'm sure not every single industry could possibly pull this off but no no. a lot of places can because if you have people get a longer weekend and feel better about themselves um you know often they come to work and think i've only got to get through four days and they work harder um yeah like and, you. and a lot of companies, a lot of companies pay lip service to to talking about work life balance, but not many of them actually do something about it. <laughs> That's what I mean. True. It's it's like they pay lips they pay lip service to work life balance, but then work you as hard as they possibly can yeah. for all the time that you're in work. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, so yeah, it, well, good luck to them. I hope uh, hope it works for them. Well, it would be it'd be a very interesting study. Um, I don't know, you know, what sort of companies they're looking to get at least 30 companies to sign up by June, uh, apparently. Um, oh, right. OK. It would be, you know. It I'd, would be... I think they're probably going to look at small to medium sized businesses. Yes. Because the bigger the business gets, the more complicated it gets to organise. <laughs> yes, that is true. But, but uh, um, I, yeah, I, you know, I think it, it's quite likely that the study will prove that people are just as you know productive, if not more so, uh, if they only do have to do four days a week. Um, yeah, because I, I think working in many ways, I think working seven days a week, it's sort of five days flat out, and then one day doing all the things that you need to do so that the five days work smoothly. And then one day when you're just conked out because <laughs> you're so busy all the rest of the other days. Yeah. Um, it, it is hard. So I don't see any reason why it shouldn't work myself. It's just whether people would trust it to work. It's a little bit like this working from home thing. You know, a lot of companies have tried working from home during lockdown and whatever. And I think a lot will probably just go back to the old way of doing things when they can. Um, Simply because uh, companies make a lot about trusting their employees. But (laughs) I think deep down, it's actually quite hard. It's hard for people who are in control to actually give up that control and say, "Okay, we'll trust you to do the work. Um, some yeah. companies have my my uh, my colleague across the road, uh, my friend uh, neighbour across the road. Um, he's still working from home, and and as far as I know, he's going to continue working from home um, most of the time um, because it works for him and his company are obviously quite happy with that the way that works. So some companies are being flexible, but yeah, not all of them. Not all. Anyway, of them. Some, it'll be some... interesting to see what the results are. It, it will. Some people, you know, some places just love the whole everybody in their cubicles in the office, you know, working away like yes. drones. Um, other places maybe have a bit more enlightened view. But uh, apparently, 
at the bottom here, one of the businesses taking part in the pilot program is Edinburgh-based Canon of the, you know, cameras mm-hmm. and uh, printers and such like, uh, which found that the work-life balance of 140 employees changed substantially during the pandemic. As a responsive employer, we are looking at how we can adapt our working practices to ensure employees find their time meaningful, fulfilling and productive. For this reason, we are keen to pilot a four-day working week to see if it works for us, said their president. Oh, there you go. I, mean, I, think, it's quite, I think it's quite telling that, um, I mean, there was a lot of issues, weren't there, around um, delivery drivers and uh, long-haul drivers um, at the beginning of the lockdown. And I think a lot of the reasons that people were moving out was simply because they were they were being uh, furloughed and they were actually finding work was more fulfilling than the work that they were actually doing. Yes. Uh, while they were furloughed. Um, and that's part of the problem. I mean, if you, if you show people what, if you don't treat people well, then they will go elsewhere. Yeah. And, and they probably won't normally go elsewhere, but because they were because people were thrust into that position at the beginning of lockdown. Um, and it caused quite a big hoo-ha, didn't it? I mean, there was quite a lot of problems with deliveries, and there may still be for all I know, but um, certainly at the beginning of lockdown, there were there were issues over this shortage of drivers, uh, and simply because I think a lot of them had found better jobs. So well, there you go. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting, and I'll be very interested to see what happens. And I would not be in the least surprised if the results are actually, you know, we get better results only working people four days a week instead of five. Yeah, because it gives you that extra day then to do other things. As I say, if you're spending your whole weekend, particularly if you've got kids, you're spending the whole weekend running around after your kids and uh, only really resting on Sunday, uh, having an extra day makes a, a big difference. Yeah, very much uh, so. So. There we are. Yeah. Um, and pretty much to wrap it up, Nick, this is our little snippet for the week, which uh, amused me and you. Robot vacuum cleaner escapes from Cambridge Travel Lodge. This is on the BBC. Um, a robot vacuum cleaner made a break for freedom after giving staff the slip at the Travel Lodge Hotel. Uh, <laughs> uh, <this is laughs> you, can, a... you can hear it now, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all the dogs barking. <laughs> yeah, sirens going off. <laughs> yeah, the searchlights scanning the car park. The uh, apparently the automated cleaner <laughs> failed to stop at the front door of the hotel in Orchard Park in Cambridge on Thursday and was on the loose the following day. Uh, staff said it kept going and could be anywhere. While well wishes on social media hope the vacuum enjoyed its travels as it has no natural predators. Uh, um, it was found <laughs> under a hedge on Friday. Um, staff at the hotel posted the story of the robot vacuum's great escape on social media, asking for it to be returned if found. Um, Today we had one of the new robot vacuums run for its life, the assistant manager wrote. They normally sense the lip at the entrance to the hotel and turn around, but this one decided to make a run for it. (laughs) Uh, Apparently the disappearance was not noticed for 15 minutes and despite a search it appeared the vacuum had made a clean break. 
Oh, dear. The assistant manager assumed it might have been found and taken and pointed out it was only compatible with the docking charging station at the hotel and was useless to anyone else. Uh, readers joked about the robot's adventures, one feared for its safety in the outdoors, pointing out that nature abhors a vacuum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Much to everybody's relief, the device was found nestled under a hedge on Friday afternoon by a human hotel cleaner sprucing up front drive. It was dusted off and is now back sitly, sitting happily on its shelf with the rest of the robot vacuum family. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good story. Very it's amusing. It's no. one of those stories you'd get at the end of the news, isn't it? It yeah. is, yes, yes. <laughs> the, you know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, very good, very funny. Um, I don't. I, the other one I've seen was um, somebody posted a video of their Roomba, um, which was like my Roomba is trapped on the carpet, and he'd got a carpet that got uh, like a black lines patterns with coloured squares in, a bit like a Mondrian type painting. If you're familiar yes. with those, the ones with the like geometric black lines, and then he coloured in different spaces with red. Yes, yellow. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy had a carpet like that, and he take it. We've got a short video. The 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 Roomba had driven on to the carpet and gone into what was effectively a black lined, uh, you know, outlined square on the carpet, and uh, it was then stuck because every direction it went, it detected the black line and assumed that it was a step which it could not navigate. <laughs> so it was like a, it was like a, you know, like a trapped Dalek. It was like backing up and turning and backing up and turning every direction it went. There was a black line and it was stuck there, which was rather funny to watch. Yeah, I, I, I had a robot vacuum cleaner that uh, it, it's cliff sensor. That's what they're called, cliff sensors, uh, had failed. And <laughs> just like that, it would sort of start to move and then it'd say, uh-uh, no, can't move. I don't know what's happened, but I can't see me sensor, so I must be near a cliff. Uh, yeah, so, yeah so. perhaps I need to put some black tape down across the entrance way to stop the vacuum. Well, they're usually um, they're usually magnetic tape. Um, so so the, uh, the there's different ways of doing it. The the robe, um, Roomba ones usually have um, a, um, a what they call a lighthouse. Right. Oh, it's like a little box. I'm not quite sure what that does, whether it shines up an infrared beam or something um, uh, to stop the robot going past. But some of the other ones, uh, the one I've got, which is a... Um, he looks down, reminding himself. Uh, what are you? A, a Nito one, or Nieto, Nieto, whatever it is. Um, uh, it comes with a ma- like a magnetic strip. Okay. Um, a, a metal magnetic strip, so it won't go past the magnetic strip. So, so I don't know why a black line would stop it, unless it was using optical sensors in some way. Mm, don't know, but there so you go. They all they all have their own ways of doing things. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the black lines in the carpet. You know, if it was using some sort of infrared sensor, but whatever, it, it was completely trapped. Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> anyway, it was completely <laughs> trapped in the black lines, which was was rather hilarious. And uh, obviously, yeah, perhaps they perhaps they need to put a bit bigger lip on the on the doorstep so it can't get over. Or perhaps they need to have robot gates, yeah. you know, like like puppy gates. To stop the... You have to watch out for the cats as well because there are several videos of cats oh, riding yeah. on them. Cats riding on them. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, the other one, uh, which is hilarious, I think it was on YouTube and it went a bit viral. There was a thing with the cat is like at its um, 
feeding bowl, you know, eating its food. And the yeah. robot vacuum cleaner comes along and the cat, without doing anything else, lifts up its back leg and pushes it so that the vacuum cleaner turns around like 90 degrees and <laughs> continues to, <laughs> like, completely unfazed. It just, like, yes. puts its foot on go it and away. twists it. It's like, go away. <laughs> it's a very, very funny thing. And I like it. Comes up, cat turns it around and sends it on its way. Just, like, without even lifting its head, you know. It just... <laughs> Yeah, I think, I'm busy, too busy eating. Go away. Yeah, go away. I'm not having you come around here. So there you go. Anyway, there we are. So that's a funny little story about a runaway vacuum cleaner. And that's it, Nick. Brilliant. That's it. That's all the stories Indeed. for the week. So uh, I guess at this point we'll wrap it up. So uh, do you want to tell people where they can find your stuff as ever? Uh, yes, you can occasionally find me on Twitter. I'm Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. You can find me in the chat on Slack. I had to think very hard then what it was called. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and um, if you want to find our uh, services, which we put out on our website, then have a search for Erdington Methodist Church. Yeah, and the links YouTube. are, of course, the links to uh, Nick's uh, church, you know, YouTube channels are in the show notes. Um, and as you all probably know, you can find me on Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Uh, I'm in the Slack, of course. Uh, if you want to join the Slack, just follow the link in the show notes. That will let you get you straight in. Um, always happy to have more people join us in there for the fun and games and um, silly stories and things that would go on. Um, Thank you to everybody who supports us, of course, you know, financially or otherwise, by retweeting us and telling people about us and battering people until they submit, that sort of thing. Uh, if you'd like to do a review, please do. We haven't had a review for ages and ages and ages. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, so even if, it's even if it's just, you know, who are those guys? <laughs> yeah, who are these idiots? That'd be fine. <laughs> yes, that would be fine. Who are these idiots? But uh, there we go. So uh, I guess we'll be back next week. So uh, until then, we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcasts, and take a listen. Hello and good evening. This is Gaz for the MyMac podcast. 
and we know you have your pick of high-quality downloadable audio content, and we appreciate that you choose ours. Quite right, old bean. This is Guy, and we're here to say that the My Mac podcast is the right choice to make. Intelligent, cultured, and downloaded by only the finest and most educated people. Indeed. In fact, we restrict our delightful missives to only those best suited... <sighs> Guy, I can't go on with this. Who are we kidding? The My Mac podcast is probably one of the most accessible shows there is. Gaz, we're trying to up our reputation here. Oh, shut it. Listen, folks, tired of tech podcasts that talk over your head and go on too long, taking themselves so seriously, you'd think they were the ones making the product? Then you should listen to the MyMac.com podcast. At least three good chuckles per segment. If my math is right, that's about ten laughs per show. Right. Because three times three is ten. Sometimes I really wonder about you, Guy. No need to wonder where to find the podcast. Just go to iTunes and search for my Mac. Subscribe and jump into the fun. You know, we're part of the Stoplight Network, and there are a lot of important people there. Well, we did say we hardly know anyone important. Though there was that time I was less than 30 feet away from the Waz, and I could have sworn we made eye contact. Most likely, he was having stomach cramps. Well, that would explain why he was doubled over at the time. The MyMac.com podcast. Enjoy it over a copper. again another time. Until then, goodbye. Oh, I, I know what I meant to. Have you watched Afterlife? No. The Ricky Gervais scene. Um, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a great Ricky Gervais lover. Well, but... n- nor am I. Right, this is the thing. I find some of his. I mean, the original Office was kind of okay, but he does a lot of that sort of cringe humour, and yeah, I don't always find him all that funny. But um, there's three seasons of Afterlife on Netflix, um, and that's it. He's done it, so that the the last one is you know definitely the end of it, um, which I quite like yeah. rather than flogging it to death. But um, it's also it's like a, there's a sort of ongoing story, and the, the story is kind of like the seasons are kind of like you know the beginning, the middle, and the end. But yeah. he plays this guy whose wife has died of cancer, and obviously you know it sort of opens without showing it you that he'd been suicidal, and you know, mm-hmm. and and he he plays uh, plays his character. The, the only trouble with it is, is it's very foul mouthed, right? There's a lot of swearing, but in the oh, first, well, yeah, it doesn't bother. Doesn't no. bother me particularly. <laughs> it, it, so. You know, it's it's very sweary. But um, yeah, <laughs> he uh, 
in the like in the first one, you know, he's he's still horribly depressed and keep telling people he's gonna he might kill himself and all the rest of it. And um, he goes around just being rude to everybody because he's like so angry at the world that he doesn't care any. Yeah, but it, it's it is a brilliant tragic comedy because at parts it is incredibly moving, you know, to yeah. the point of moving you to tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were the other parts which are like literally laugh out loud fall out of your chair laughing funny um well you, you find that sort of thing funny but and then the second season he's getting better and he's, he's realized that he's been depressed and suicidal and all this and he wants to try and get better and there's a sort of struggling with come trying to come to terms with it and then in the third season he's getting better you know he's not quite there but he's a lot better um and it's it's both moving and funny and it's worth a watch put it that way worth giving a go you know if you watch one and go or not for oh, me, right, then... i might yeah i might give that a go because i i've just started to watch i've just started to watch hannah on oh uh, yeah prime i've seen that that's very good um well, yeah, I it. so I far it. so good. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three... Well, I've watched, I've watched quite, I've watched quite a few things that people have sort of said it was all right. I really enjoyed Foundation. Yes, I did. I enjoyed um, Foundation. I thought it was very, I thought it was very well made, and there were some real, really good sort of plot twists in it and things you weren't expecting. And I, I, yeah, I, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I did. Um, I really did enjoy that. I wasn't so impressed with Invasion and sort of long and yeah. Didn't, didn't... I had a little bit of a look at the invasion, and I, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. Quite so good. I wouldn't bother personally. It sort of seems to drag on for a long time and not really very much happen. Um, I wasn't impressed right. with that at all. I mean, I was really looking forward to it because I thought, oh, this could be really good, but I didn't. There's a lot of sort of stuff that doesn't really get explained, and uh, I wasn't impressed with it. And it came to the end, and I'm like, is that it? Really? You know, ten hours of TV, yeah. and that's the best you could muster. I was not pleased with it at all, really. So, and yeah, Ted, Ted Lasso, I'm enjoying. Ted Lasso, I'm enjoying, but I'm not sure I'm enjoying it quite as much as the first series so far. Mm. I've watched what four episodes or five episodes. Right, what are we on now? And was there third? Um, but I have a feeling that's how I. I have a feeling that's how I felt about the first series as well. And, and by the time I'd finished watching the series, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. The the second, I think the second season is a little bit probably not. I'd say probably not quite as good, but it's a bit like being meatloaf's bat out of hell, isn't it? If the first thing you do is praise to the heavens as the greatest work ever, it's very difficult to top it. Yeah, I think I think what I'm finding is that it's a little a little bit formulaic. The yes. kind of jokes are the same kind of jokes that they broke in the first series. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm still enjoying it. It's okay. Um, yeah. I mean, the fact is, you know, like most people, I I don't love everything that I watch, but some things I think are okay, and some things I think are much better. Yeah. But yes, I I really liked Foundation. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting the way that even though there were different timelines going on, um, you know, there are some programs you watch where the timelines are so complex. Oh, yeah. And you're like, what? You haven't, really, you haven't really got a clue what's going on. Whereas with Foundation, it was quite simple. I thought it was quite easy to, to work Just, out, you know, yeah. this is happening in the past and this is happening now. now. And yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. I, I did. So, I, yeah, I th- yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. So presum- hopefully there's more to come. Yeah, well, I, I think originally they talked about doing eight seasons to cover the story. Oh, um, right. Okay. Oh, well, that, that'd be good because I thought, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I mean, and the Expanse, of course, that's finished now. I liked that. That was good. Oh, yes. 
I enjoyed the expand. That was uh, excellent. I thought. Yeah. Um, I remember what I remember watching the first series of that and felt that was a bit. It was all right. But it, well, yeah, the first I'd... it 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 really warmed up after the first series. It yes, really, it did. When it, it came did. back for the second series, it was like a different show almost. The first, I think, once the... they actually got once they actually got on the Rosinante. Yeah, it started, it started to become really started interesting. To, started yeah. to pick up the first. I think there was a lot of exposition, really, and sort of background setting in the first series. Because I, I don't know if I told yes. you the first time when it when the first season first came out, or when it first came on Netflix. No, Amazon it's on Amazon. And anyway, yeah, when Amazon, when yeah. when it first came on, um, having been previously on Sky, I think, and dumped. But when they first started showing it, I I started watching season one. And I think I watched about two or three episodes and went, oh, I'm not really getting this. And I, I like I dropped it. But when season two came out and it, like rave reviews were everywhere, I thought, well, maybe I should go back and have another go. So I kind of yeah. thought, well, I'm going to power the through this series, season. The first thing. The first series is setting up the proto-molecule and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? So it takes yeah. a little bit of time to actually get that. So I kind of, I thought, right, established. I, will, I will power on regardless in the grounds that everybody's telling me season two is brilliant. So I did. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I persevered with it. But um, Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed the characters in it. I think yes. Very well. Very well. It's really character driven. Yes. It's a very good show. I really do like that. Mm. And apparently there are three more books. Yes, but um, apparently they're set, they're, like, no... they're set like 30 years in the future or like it jumps forward 30 years. Right. Apparently. Oh, okay. In the books. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. I've not I might, read them. Uh, but... I might get them. I might, I might get the books and have a read and see what yeah. they're like. I've or not at least one of the books. <laughs> I've not, yeah, I've not read it, but uh, or any of it. I've never heard of it, but um, I've been told, uh, you know, and read on online that the reason they said they're pretty sure the reason that they're ending it now at season six is yeah. like that's the end of book six, and then apparently like the last three books jump forward a bit like the foundation is prone to do jump forward like a hundred years and carry on from there yeah. and because and because we've become because we've become all so invested in those characters it'd probably be quite hard to, to sell it i can yeah i can understand that so ah interesting yeah it was the only the right. only i'll get a bit of tea and you yeah. better, better feed your dog not feed your dog take your dog for a walk take the dog for a walk the, the only bit that's slightly um nonplussed me was the thing with the boy they you know the creatures you know had brought the boy back to life somehow oh yeah and that, then they... that's obviously that that is obviously setting up another story isn't it yeah Some sort so, um, later but they're not going to do later so yeah i didn't i didn't really weird. it was a bit like if that's not going anywhere why have you bothered to put it in there i don't understand what that's about yeah uh, are they just are they just leaving their options open for maybe. a later series maybe they case. are maybe but you're right you're right that bit seems to have no relevance to anything it didn't really seem to have any relevance mm. to anything at all because it was some settlers no. through the ring and that this creature you know brought the bird back to life then it brought a brother back to life and then you could the bit at the end i'm, where I'm you trying to think yeah i'm trying to think because i watched a youtube review of the series and at the end of it they talked about these last three books and i'm trying to remember what which bits of the story they carried on and it might be that it's that that part of the of the story. Yeah, is a sort of foundation in the last three books. Yeah, yeah, it's something that you know of relevance later on. But if you weren't planning to do the rest of it, why you know why bother yes. to include it? Then why do it? 
a bit of a spurious <laughs> side yeah. tr- track about nothing. But there you go. Well, yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that. I thought it was curious, but yeah, yeah. I hadn't really thought about the fact that it didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere, and it didn't really bear any relevance to the rest of the story. But yeah, that's his life. No, there we go. Right, but then he did say he did say right at the end, didn't he? The very almost the last sentence, he said something like, "But what about the proto molecule?" Yes. Yeah. So I think they have got they have got their eyes on the future just in case they can get another series. Well, they could do. They could do because um, the, the other bit was that there was that sort of what appeared to be a proto molecule ship, wasn't there? Which then, like, they kept showing it, but nothing happened. Yeah. Nothing came of it. Um, that's right. So yeah, I don't know. So who knows? Oh, it'd be good if they do some more. I'm not gonna. Maybe they've left it at a point where if they can get the funding or the backing or think there's enough people, they'll do something about it. But there yeah. We are. 